received one of the best phone calls of my life, which was to me still a funny sort of thing. I had a brand new intern in the office. I think I was at a, a meeting or with a client out of office and I returned to a piece of paper on my desk that said Oprah called and a phone number. Welcome to the Open, Honest, and Direct podcast, where we share stories from powerful leaders on what it takes to unlock your team's potential and all their screw-ups along the way. Each episode, we'll take a behind-the-scenes look at how to build a high-performing team from the leaders who built them. Today, we are lucky to have Dana Gordon, the founder of Dana Rebecca Designs. In this episode, Dana talks about the importance of trusting her gut, especially when it comes to employee fit within her organization something she didn't do so well earlier in her leadership journey. And she shares that story with us. I love Dana's raw, unfiltered honesty in this episode, and I think you're gonna enjoy it as well. So Dana, this is something I didn't know about you, but as a third generation jewelry designer, after your first trip to India with your father, when you were 16, you came back and launched your first collection, which sold out in 48 hours. How the heck did that happen? Yeah. My journey is super interesting, given that at the young age of 16, I'd already traveled on a lot of different international trips with my father. So I'm the youngest of three, and I have always had a passion and curiosity for other cultures and just seeing different parts of the world. My father's Moroccan Israeli, so I've spent a lot of time traveling to see family. But the summer of my 16th birthday, I was traveling overseas to India with my dad and butted in on a conversation that my dad was having about jewelry design. That being said, I had always been like the most creative kid, always into arts and crafts and, you know, working with my hands. Starting very early in my life, I was very into creating jewelry. And on this trip to India, I laughed that it was like sort of my dad's first time that his eyes opened to seeing the creative child that he had. So he helped me meet a few people over in India who were able to help me create some semi-precious and silver jewelry. And that summer, I came home and I did two charity golf outings. And I was lucky enough to sell out the collection in 48 hours. At the time, it was really unclear to me what it all meant. It was sort of one of those things that you couldn't believe happened. And so every summer, I would return to India with my dad and design jewelry and come home and do charity events and trunk shows. And it's kind of incredible to say like 19 years later, you could do the math, I'm 35. I'm still following that passion in jewelry and in creating pieces. It's incredible because you often think this is something that's just an overnight success and oh, you're on Oprah's list and your jewelry is being worn by all these celebrities, but you've been doing this for 19 years. How did the transition go from, you know, doing it yourself to like making this a business? I looked at it really as like a hobby. It was passionate. It was fun. I had a very traditional college education. I went to the University of Texas in Austin and I studied communication. I had absolutely no plans whatsoever that I was going to go into the jewelry business. I was absolutely certain that I was going to be a lawyer. And what's interesting is the summer going into my freshman year, I launched my first diamond collection. And let's be honest, most of my shoppers were from my network of family and friends. 
they would say, people stop me on the street all the time and they ask me, oh my God, is that Chan Lu? Is that, and they would name other designers. And then naturally people would just reply and say, no, it's a Dana. So I launched my business and I called it, it's a Dana. I could tell you that most of my friends would remember these pens that I had that said, it's a Dana, but like probably very little clue that that was my jewelry company. So now looking back and saying my first diamond collection I launched before college is totally wild to me. But the exciting part is, is that a lot of the clients who purchased from that first collection, I still see those pieces on a regular basis. I think what changed for me was we've come from a family of, you know, it's, it would be very welcome to join the family business, but that you could not just go to college and come join the business. You needed to do a secondary form of education. And so my brother was going to law school and we had a conversation about, you know, this hobby can be so much more. How can I not pursue jewelry design and seeing what that meant for me? And so I decided to go to the Gemological Institute of America. It was an eye-opening transition for me. But what I realized was that law school was sort of always going to be there. And I needed to see if I can continue the path that I was on and create a brand. So coming out of the GIA, I launched Dana Rebecca Designs um, in May of 2007. And we're lucky to have just celebrated our 12th anniversary. Wow. Okay. So seven years of, of designing and crafting and making it kind of your hobby into GIA and then launching Dana Rebecca. And how soon after you launched Dana Rebecca did you start to add people to your team? I was 22, 23. I was a baby. I had just come out of school. I had six months. Um, worked in my family's manufacturing company. And what I was certain about was that I didn't know enough and that I needed to make a lot of mistakes. My office was inside of my dad's factory. I had promised myself for two full years, I would do every single thing that the business required. I was going to do the accounting, the sales, the designing, the PR, the marketing, the logistics, every single thing. I was very strict with myself that I thought in order to learn it all and to be successful and to really know what I needed out of the team that I would eventually hire was going to come from the work that I put in in those first two years. I lasted all of those two years and fall of around like 2010, I received one of the best phone calls of my life, which was to me still a funny sort of thing. I had a brand new intern in the office. I think I was at a meeting or with a client out of office and I returned to a piece of paper on my desk that said Oprah called and a phone number. And I remember looking and being like, Oprah is not calling. It turns out it dawned on me that the magazine is in New York with a 212 area code and this phone number was 312. So I called it back and heard from one of the producers from Oprah's Favorite Things saying that I was one of the people that they wanted on the show. And immediately in my mind, Aaron was, oh my God, I need an employee. But I remember telling my dad, I needed to hire an employee. I was going to be an Oprah's Favorite Things. And him saying, like, you're going to regret it. You can't just hire an employee 
you know, everything changes. And at the young age in your early 20s, you think when you have a business that having employees is success. I never will forget the first employee who walked in the door and how exhausted I was that day in training and talking and explaining. I remember saying to my dad, oh my God, I I, I want to give them back. I think I can do this on my own. Yeah, how do you Um, transition nine years of, and really two years of operating, running, doing everything for the business and it all being surrounded by the actions that you take to now bringing other people on and allowing them to lead and make mistakes that you might not have made yourself. I attribute a lot of success of Dana Rebecca to the fact that I've made mistakes and I've failed and I've picked myself back up and I've looked at every single mistake as a positive. I am not short of making mistakes. I have definitely hired the wrong people and taken the wrong advice. And I've been unable to give up. I've had what I think is like amazing growth in being a leader. At the beginning, it was almost impossible to figure out that balance of micromanaging and understanding how your employee can turn something into better than what you gave them. And I think as a leader, and as someone who has hired and fired and been very proud to have built a beautiful team, you have to believe in the people that you're hiring. And if you don't believe in them, you're never going to pass off the work and it's gonna take a lot longer to let go. We were very fortunate that with Oprah and a few other press opportunities that came around that we were able to move out of my family's office into our own office on Michigan Avenue in Chicago. And I remember my now husband was our office broker and he helped us find the space and it was two large spaces. One was the showroom and one was my office. Fast forward to today, I'm ready to give up my office. I'm ready to be more mobile. I'm ready to have a laptop to be able to sit at my teammates' desks. I think things just change. You just, at a young age, think of success and growth in a really different way. And soon enough, we needed a second salesperson. We were so busy. And then I was connected with someone great to run my marketing team. Then I had some interns. And I remember thinking, how can I bring clients into a private luxury shopping experience with four women sitting around in the same room? And so we were able to take on more space and we've actually since moved our showroom across the hall into its own private location. And we are now at about 20 plus employees. I feel like even when I say this all out loud, it sounds like it all happens in a minute, but the beginning phase of moving into this office and taking a new, fresh approach to how we were going to sell is kind of like the story of Dean and Rebecca. So I always love bringing people through our corporate office because you can see the lines of growth really clearly. Huh. Kind of like the rings I'm, on a tree. Totally. It is like you see it. It's very linear. It seems very simple. Obviously, a lot of tears and blood and sweat, everything went into it but it is very fun to be able to show sort of that growth. But Erin, you and I have always sat down and had really awesome conversations. The hardest thing about owning your own business that people don't talk about is managing people and growing your team and what that looks like and what that feels like. And 
I think I'm in a unique place today to say that more than anything, my culture at Dana Rebecca is what I believe has grown the business and it has been our success. Yes, we've had bad apples. Yes, we've had lapses in our culture. But I believe as the leader that the best representation of the culture really does come from me. I have built a business that I'm proud of. The brand that we've built, the women we inspire, and the what I sort of call the homegrown Dana Rebecca girls internally at the brand who live and breathe and love everything that the brand represents. What have you done to foster that? What have you done to make that what it is today? I do know that we come in here every single day selling a beautiful product and we're not doing something super serious. We're not curing cancer. We're in the luxury industry. So I think driving home that message of what you do, who it affects, I have been at the receiving end of customer dissatisfaction for reasons so far out of my control And I have to remind myself, if that is the greatest issue that that person is having in the day, is that their fine jewelry didn't arrive at the right door or that didn't arrive on time, in a world where obviously something else is going on, take it for what it is. Let's help to resolve this scenario. But nobody got hurt. It could be way worse. And I've, over the course of time, really worked on showing the team, like being in the luxury industry and being able to sell beautiful things at the receiving end, almost 100% of the time, are really happy people. Hmm. We get to celebrate your milestones, your achievements, your celebrations. As a fine jewelry brand, we're part of these moments. And you leave Dana Rebecca with a big smile on your face. Why that shouldn't be reflected in the team is part of the culture that I've, what I think that I've built, is reminding ourselves that we're in a positive place. We make women feel special every day. So that has to come from the inside, like I said, but it's always a work in progress. And I think that that, you can't just say we have a culture and you solidify it. Like I said, if we make women feel special every day, how can we not feel special every day internally? I love that. That's what we do. That's why we're in business, as opposed to trying to explain that you're in business for any other reason, but to make women feel special and reminding them that there is perspective to what's happening, right? In the luxury business, there are going to be people who complain. And so hold that perspective with the purpose of our business and what we do and what we're about. And that's, that's enormous. That's incredibly powerful. I'm curious about, you mentioned earlier You know, there were a lot of lessons learned from hiring and firing and getting to where you are today. If you could go back, what would you do differently? I would absolutely trust my gut earlier. Hmm. And I think I had my aha moment was that somebody who isn't performing within 30, 60, 90 days, they're not going to perform. Or if they don't fit or they don't show what you need them to do. I feel like what I've done in the past, I held on assuming that people would be better or that it was just a mistake or they didn't mean it that way. And I held on to people because I thought that that was being loyal. And I think I'm in a place where I now understand better how to identify somebody who just isn't a fit. 
And when they're not a fit in 30 days, you can say one thing. But after 60 and 90 days, the likelihood of them becoming a fit is, for me, just not there. But at me and Rebecca, we're a really small team. We wear a lot of different hats. And I think I have a very strong gut instinct very early about being a fit. And I have held on believing that I can make change or help change or guide them. But what I sort of figured out is that I'm doing a disservice to them in their career. Yes. Right? Because if I'm holding on to them because I can make them better or mold them the way that I want them to be, then they're going to spend the rest of their career doing something that isn't them. And I think it is a lot easier to walk away from a job if it just isn't a fit. And it's a real thing to talk about. I hear everybody say, well, I'm just going to stick around for another year because I think it'll look better on my resume. But at the same time, if you have a good reason for leaving and trying to find something that better suits you, then I am okay with you being somewhere for a year. Or if there's a three-month period, just have a reason to say it wasn't the fit for me. I needed something a little bit more slow-paced or challenging or corporate or whatever the answer is. So I think I would definitely say that I've held on assuming the best of people or the best in me or my ability to turn things around. So there have been several people who have just been bad fit and I might have kept them around for a year plus, but I, looking back, knew I saw the red flag. You saw the writing on the wall. Exactly. It's a common mistake that we don't want to make the other person feel bad or break them or we think we can make it work. And you're totally spot on that if it's not a fit, it's not what's best for Dana Rebecca. It's not what's best for you. It's not what's best for them. And, you know, being able to speak up and say that sooner is only a service to everybody involved. That's a huge, huge lesson learned. Knowing you as a friend and and having conversations with you as you've grown and as this business has grown, how has motherhood and becoming a mother changed the way you look at your business and approach your team and think about the future of your business? From the outside looking in, it just seems like this perfectly balanced life. And I am often so honest and open about it that I sort of like laugh. Sometimes my friends are like, oh, come meet us at the pool. And I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. And then they're like, yeah, I'm picking up our kids in a second. And I'm like, wait, your kids are coming? I need pool time sans kids. Nobody remembers that when I'm not at work, I'm always with my kids, you know? And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. You love your kids 100% of the time. I absolutely adore and love my kids, but I am so in the need of that honest hello this the world of talking about balance between work and being a mom what about being a person I am the type of person that personal time and personal space is so important sometimes I'll say to the girls I'm coming in on a Saturday because I need to get caught up and not have the rest of the team in my day-to-day and also I'm kind of just escaping my children I would be a working mom no matter what, but that word balance and manage it all is such a crock of shit to me. Your podcast is about being honest, right, Erin? Please, open, honest, and direct. I love it. I think that people 
do not consider women in business and how hard it is to be not only a business person, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, but you're a team player, you're a advocate, you're a co-captain in some respect. But at home, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a sister, I'm a friend, I'm a daughter. And there is such pressure on women to sort of do it all and be it all. And I think one of the things that gets missed is this me time. And I spend a lot of time with my girls. I am very adamant that the weekends are for them and that my sort of in air quotes, I know this is a podcast, but air quote balance is me having either the start of the day be with them or the end of the day. And, you know, yeah, there are times that I get both or that I get none of the above, but it's important for me to also find Dana time. And I hope that the way that I a, am honest with my team about needing that, it reflects on them how important it is for them to have the ability to just be by themselves or self-care, self-love. I'm encouraging more lately the just go get a smoothie in the middle of the day. It doesn't need to be at lunchtime. It doesn't need to be cleared with me. But sometimes it's just nice to go get a smoothie and sit for a second on a bench and like take a deep breath. And I'm very lucky that my team is women who support each other. There are a lot of very close friendships here. Whether it's a real thing or not, I, to be clear, feel like you can call balance by being one thing. And so I think my balance is having time with my girls in some capacity, being a good boss, being a good person and also paying attention to myself. That's what I think is balance in a day. So some days I think I'm the most amazing human being ever because I did all four. And the other days I go to bed disappointed in myself that like I couldn't make it all happen. But I think mom guilt is a thing and I think it's so unfair and so completely ridiculous that I try to make every day feel like something new and so, you know, back to my original story of saying, you're going to the pool with your kids. Oh my God, my kids are taken care of or at camp and I'm alone for the first time in weeks and you want me to hang out with your kids? No, 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 no. Me time. Like, love you. Don't want to be with your kids when I'm not with my kids, you know? So it's kind of like my kids are terrors on airplanes. And then I feel this like tremendous guilt when I'm alone on a plane without my kid and somebody else's kid is being a terror. And I first feel annoyed that I'm sitting near a kid. And then I feel like empathy for the mother and the father, or whoever is with the child. It's not easy. And it's a lot easier to judge from the outside. But I think we could use a lot more compassion. And so even when my teammate with kids, they say, you know, my kid's not feeling great, I'll be in at some point, I'll say, you know what, stay home. It's totally fine. You have my support. I want them to feel that way. And I think people are efficient in their jobs when they have support, not when they feel like they have to work regimented, strict hours. That's how miserable people walk in the door every day. What you're taking is the experience of it and what you're needing and what you're wanting has really given you perspective and empathy for how to think about your people. Absolutely. And not everybody has children, but I think that ability to say like, take some more time 
great conversation and great ideas come from alone time or come from reflecting. And it doesn't all come by sitting in a meeting and saying, let's be creative right now. So I think I have a team who puts in the time after hours because they love what they do and it oozes from them. But I also think that that comes when you have balance in your life. Again, air quoting, because there was a sentiment in the office when you walked in the morning. The first person who was closest to the door was often the person who never said hello to people. And what it made me realize was there's something going on with them. One, that's sidebar. But when you open the door and you walk in somewhere and you aren't greeted by the first person you see, it sets a tone for the rest of the day. And it sets a tone for how the rest of the people behave. I should have called it a lot earlier, but we let the employee go and we moved somebody else to the front of the office. And she is the most happy, warm welcome that you'll ever have in the morning. You know, sometimes I haven't had my coffee and her welcome is too much. It, it sets the tone. <laughs> it, it, I, sometimes I'm like, whoa, you know, it hit me like a ton of bricks, but I appreciate it because it sets the tone for how everybody feels. And if you want to be at a place that's positive and has a great culture, I think you need to start your day with someone like I was just speaking about. It's so, and, so and yet so it's important. It's such a small difference. It's such a small difference, Aaron. But I think that that all comes down to the balance in your day. Like if you're going to start your day with an awful news or paying bills or something that just brings you down, I think the way that you start is just so important. And I know you asked me about being a mom, so I've totally deviated. But... You came to a great place, and I actually think you <laughs> wrapped up in a great way, which is the balance and being a mother has given you a way in which you want your people to feel and to feel open to work in the way that they need to and to work with support, but also work where it doesn't have to be so structured because that produces the better outcomes for you and your business. I think you said earlier in the, in the conversation of how Dana Rebecca wouldn't be where it is today without the culture. It wasn't the product, it was the culture that drove it. And so this is just an example of how you've made that happen. I just wanna say thank you. This has been a really fun conversation, rich and honest and open and exactly what I would have thought of, but never would have expected some of the things that uh, you shared from the truth of how balance is hard to the importance of just a smile. Correct. Well, thank you for having me, Erin. I'm super proud of everything that you're doing. You've continued to inspire and challenge me, and I loved being able to chat with you today. Thanks for being on. Want to hear more great stories like this one? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. And as always, you can drop us a line at openhonestanddirect.com. Cheers.